Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran jazz pianist and keyboardist Jeff Babko. We caught up with him while on tour in Japan to talk about his new 2023 CD, The Libretto Show, his life in music, and so much more. He is a native of Southern California and has remained on the West Coast throughout his career. He constantly balances many musical and professional hats as an in-demand recording musician and touring keyboardist. His career has taken a lot of interesting and fruitful twists. We get into all of it. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, good. Cool. Hey, it's cool. great to meet you, man. Thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz. My pleasure. So before we get into your latest material, I want to know, how did you survive the last three and a half years? How did you get through COVID and how did it change you as an artist? Oh, man. Have I gotten through it? Yeah. Is it right. a virtual? That's the question. I don't know. I feel like it's kind of like life and it was an ultimate kind of... Um, you know, uh, uh, parallel to, 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 to life kind of handing you surprises and how do you deal? You know, um, I, I have a lot as a musician, um, I live my whole life based on this is my last gig ever. You know, I think we're all a little bit like that. So when that happened, you know, in the moment, it was March 12th or something, and we had a gig. My buddy Zach Danziger and I had this project called 9.15 O'Clock Movie, and we had a gig that on Sunday that we were supposed to promote, right? You're supposed to go on the socials and tell people to come out. And I'm, and as the week was progressing, it was like, do we even promote this gig? Um, I'm, what do we do? They're telling us not to go out. Yeah. Um, they're telling us not to gather. Uh do we cancel a gig? I don't cancel gigs. Um, so then we realized, you know, by Wednesday of that week, we got, I can't, we can't. And the club was kind of bummed, you know, cause no one, it, there was no precedent. So it was, a, a, it was a series of those kinds of things for me, you know, is this going to last a week? Is this going to last nine months? And then as things started opening up, we were all kind of like, is this hap- happening? And and I and I had things in my calendar that I was getting booked on that at one point I was just putting them in my calendar. Going, yeah, it's fun to put things in my calendar, but it's never going to happen. Nothing's happening. Yeah. yeah, I'll throw that on. And then, you know, you'd come around and, and no one would even talk about that it wasn't happening. And then I remember we were, I, I toured with Steve Martin and Martin Short and we were, um, my family and I were up in Paso Robles where we spent a lot of time in the Central Coast in California and my son, who was probably nine at the time, saw a billboard for a Steve Martin Martin Short show advertised. And I said, I think that's in my calendar, but that's happening. And that's when we realized things were starting to happen. So yeah. the long answer to your question is just like everything in my life, no expectations, very far afield. It's like uh, it was a really beautiful thing for my family to be able to lay low and not be running around like a bunch of lunatics yeah. um, with a busy schedule. It was nice to regroup and 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 kind of reset. Uh, thankfully, nobody um, super close to me was 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 horribly you know uh, affected by the the actual virus, um, but. Uh, uh, you know, it was a good moment to reevaluate, and um, and I will say, after things opened back up, boy, I'm talking a long time. Um, um, I we I also was able to assess differently what I wanted to take, 
and uh, what work I wanted to take and how much and really good moment. I got off the socials during that time. Um, so it was, a, it was a great opportunity. Uh, a, it was a great opportunity to, to, to just address all those things and come back with new, hopefully, um, a new perspective. Um, so that's how I've bounced back. Um, a lot less local gigs in LA than I used to. Do I need to be tooling around with my Fender Rhodes on a Tuesday night at one thirty, loading through the kitchen at this age when my kid might want to need help with his homework and go to school. So that kind of thing is like no shade on doing those gigs, but do I need to be doing them that often? Let's save them for the special. So, so I, I found that that having that reset, it was miserable in so many ways, but boy, there were some really beautiful group Zooms that of people that never got to chat there. I, I, I like to try to see the light of what was interesting about it and what, what the takeaway was that was okay. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about your latest release, The Libretto Show. Talk to me oh. a little bit about putting this album together and, you know, especially with things kind of opening up. You know, are you doing live shows? How does this release feel for you? Um, the libretto show actually kind of ties into your first question. Uh, co a long, long story short, COVID, um, we were up in Paso Robles, which is where libretto is. It wasn't there yet. Um, and it's it's a kind of wine country to those that don't know. Um, Central Coast, it's near San Luis Obispo. It's about halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco. Uh, and we were just looking for a couch. We were looking at a couch. The store, you know, a lot of places weren't open. It was 2020. Um, and I happened to, I can only look at a couch for about four minutes. That's my, that's my threshold. Yeah. My wife, 90 minutes is fine. There are a lot of questions. So my son and I, I went, I'm going to go anywhere but here. Uh, I'm happy to report back. And I found a coffee place that I didn't know of that was open. Again, it was like, oh, this is open. Like, I'm going to put my mask on and I'm going to get a coffee. This is exciting. <laughs> it's actually open. So, um, and there was a Steinway in the corner of this little coffee shop, which was called Amsterdam. It's still there. And I was like, what's the deal with the Steinway with the cover on it? It's not just an old Steinway that grandma left behind. And uh, and and the, the, the woman sweeping the place knew the model number of the Steinway. And then the barista said, oh, it's my boyfriend, Steinway. He's obsessed with Steinways. He loves to play. And then I think in the time between that and when I got my coffee, they Googled me because I had so many questions. And there was a guy that was a musician there. And he said, do you want to play here? We'd have shows. And I said, oh, I, I does anybody play anywhere? It was, you know, it was probably fall of 2020. And they said, well, people come here and have coffee. It's not like a thing, but... We love to have people play the piano. So I'll come practice here. And if people want, and it was, they would get, they'd open the windows and people would come out and it was kind of a community thing. And from Libra, uh, from Amsterdam, the couple, Corey and Kate, Corey Jordan and Kate, um, they opened, they, they saw this amazing spot across the street. They opened Libretto. I started helping them get um, artists from LA to drive up because it's about a three hour, two and a half, three hour drive. And it's become this mecca because they have, they ended up getting another Steinway, best Steinway I've ever played in my life, a nine foot beautiful Steinway. And now it, once the word got out, it was, took really very little um, coaxing for a pianist to go play that piano. It's a really lovely room. 
Um, it's a special vibe up there because it's not a bunch. A lot of us jazzers in LA or New York or wherever, you're playing for your peers. You're playing for other musicians. And there it's not. It's winery people and local people and ranchers and normal. And they love whatever you play. And that was just a, a cathartic another kind of product of COVID that was like how I forgot what it's like to just play for people. Yeah. That, that's great. And and that can be, I wanted to celebrate that. And so we recorded David Pilch and I started doing a bunch of duo playing and 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 I thought, let's record this and, and see if it's worth some. Wow, that's great, man. That's a great story. How did this jazz journey begin for you? How did you turn this into a career? What was the initial love of it? Ooh, um, I was thinking I'm I'm out on the road in Japan with Steve Gadd right now, a, dr a drummer, and and we're in Japan right now. And, and uh, I was thinking about it. It's funny you asked tonight while we were playing a slow blues and sea. Uh, my father taught me the blues and sea. I think it's the first thing he showed me when I was three or four. And it's funny, I'm still playing it. <laughs> um, I think that was it. I think that I could that that you could sit down at the piano and make something up, and and a blues and C or any key yeah. can can be so many things. Um, yeah. I remember taking lessons with my teacher David Roystein up at Cal Arts when I was in high school, and I remember we were playing Ornette Coleman Turnaround which is a blues and C, and I was playing all my Ramsey Lewis blues licks, and he said. I mean that that works, but there's a. He was kind of trying to say it could get a little hipper than, but you know tonight as I'm playing the blues and see, I'm using all the Ramsey Lewis stuff. I the, the I I think it's a great opportunity to just get down and dirty and in um, in the moment, and it can go anywhere, yeah. and that still excites me. That that's that initial seed is still what excites me about playing jazz. So what was the first live show that you ever saw that blew you away? Jazz or otherwise? Probably jazz, but it, it could be otherwise. Not too. the Captain and Tennille when I was five. <laughs> that did blow me away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh. Uh, you know, at CalArts, uh, which uh, that's a, a school to those that don't know in, in um in Southern California, which is where I, right up the street from where I grew up, I could ride my bike to Cal Arts. And my teacher, David Royce, was the head of the jazz program. And he would, he would often invite me up to, you know, clinics for students there, you know, um, just because I was so interested. Uh, and uh, I remember seeing Pat Metheny there, who was doing a fundraiser show. It was, it was a weird band. Song X had just come out, which was Pat Metheny and Ornette Coleman's Duo records, so it just come out, and they were playing music from Song X, but it was Pat and Charlie Hayden, who was the teacher on, and faculty at, at Cal Arts, and Harvey Mason and Ernie Watts. It was the weirdest band because uh, Ernie was in Charlie's band. I don't know why Harvey was the drummer, but you know, I saved the the flyer and the program. You know, it was like to see those guys up the street from my house. Yeah, you know, was was kind of awesome. You know, yeah. it was kind of when when the world of jazz comes to my doorstep that was just like uh you know when i'm 14 or something that was that was really like they're real people they're up the street from me like like this isn't this isn't just you know records and there was no internet so it felt far away but yeah. suddenly it was right there yeah that's amazing so what has been kind of the key to 
your longevity. Why do you love this music? Why is it that you continue to do it and you evolve? What is this enduring love of jazz? How does it work for you? I love all styles of music. I really do. Um, and, and I'm really glad that, you know, as I've uh, gotten older, I guess, or as time has marched on, that when I started, you know, when I was in college, the Young Lions thing, the, the post-Marsalis brothers era was in full swing, so to speak. Yeah. And, uh, and it was Suits and it was... You know, I remember, you know, all the press of Winton shunning his brother for going out with Sting. And I'm I'm the guy in line for I waited all night for Sting tickets to see what Branford and so I didn't get I was like, why can't they coexist? I mean, I was aware of Joni Mitchell having played with Tom Scott and Wayne Shorter. You know, it's like Wayne Shorter is on a Don Henley record. It, was like, it seems like it all can share space. But there was this movement of. No, we're we're pre preserving the purity and the essence of jazz, which I totally get. Um, but then, does it become a museum piece, right? And and I was in this. Well, I love Prince. I love Todd Rundgren. I I loved you know was my entry to Herbie Hancock Rocket and Future Shock probably because that was my age. I was eleven, and that was exciting. And it was a video, and it was like. And there's Herbie on the Grammys playing with Howard Jones and Thomas Dolby and, and Stevie Wonder. I'm like, they're all hanging out, you know? Yeah. So, so um, that kind of carried me through loving all that music. And, and that's all I know how to do. And, and being on the road with Steve Gadd and the band right now, I'm realizing everyone in the band, it's Walt Fowler on trumpet and, and Gadd and, and, and Travis Carlton on bass and, um, and Mike Landau on guitar, we all started playing when we were kids. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mike and Steve Lukather from Toto were 12 playing guitar. Um, Walt and all his brothers, the Fowler brothers, are playing. Walt Fowler transcribed a Miles Davis solo from Big Fun when he was 14 for Downbeat. It got published. And Miles called the house to thank him, and he, and his mom answers that he's in school. He's, so so I realized everybody in this band had the same experience. No no plan B. This was just full throttle from the second I discovered. So when I discovered jazz and the freedom of jazz and the just the the wonder and kind of whimsy and uh, everything that jazz is, the freedom and when especially when post young lions and meldow and and that wave of people come in um and embrace all of it again then i felt like oh it all shares space so when i play with like mark juliana and tim lefave in this trio we have and and with david pilch who comes from from rock and um it, it it's borrowing from everywhere yeah. you know it's not just uh Winton kelly who who i love uh, um but you realize even Keith Jarrett was drawing, you know, he's covering Joni Mitchell songs early in his career. So they're all aware of great songwriting and great, great music. And I, I love that. So being back out on the road, that has to feel good. You know, after you explained up front that everything was closed down. So to be able to be at this point where you're on the road right now, things are picking mm -hmm. up. How does all of this feel? Uh, well, being on the road with Steve Gadd feels awesome. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I was uh, I was in math class. I wasn't a big fan of math class. So I had on my book cover, I would make up dream bands, 
you know, of that I wanted to be in. So this feels like the, my that that was my vision board. Yeah. Um, so I say yes to tours when they're important. Um, I still get to tour James Taylor uh, on and off, and Steve Martin and Martin Short. They're all really um, dear experiences for me, important and artists that I love, and and obviously that it's a it's part of my living, my livelihood. I, I don't think I'd want to be out for eight months at a time or even three months at a time. Um, but when I first started doing gigs out live, I was asked to help open this venue uh, in Los Angeles. I was like, I don't really want to play out yet. I was really enjoying being home. But I was playing with Steve Ferroni, a great drummer, and, and some other guys. And I realized that was May of 2021, I think. And I it was outdoors. So I didn't feel... And I realized as people came in and heard the live music, um, they needed it. Yeah. They needed it. Their, their eye, it was like watching zombies come back to the living. They just were arriving and their faces lit up and their bodies started to move. Yeah. I get chills thinking about it because that was what I realized. Oh, this is a service position. This isn't just serving me. This People need this. Yeah. So that's the really cool thing about um, being able to do it again. It, it, yeah. it feels like... There might have been a time in my life where, oh, I'm going to go do a gig to work my stuff out, you know, and that's part of it. But when you realize, oh, no, they need they need this. This is a two way transfer of energy and that I can provide that. That's kind of tonight in Osaka, Japan. They're fired up. They're yeah. fired up. Um, they needed it. So that's really cool to be able to have the gift of being able to share something with these people that's special. That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. So at the end of the day, everyone has a perception of you, family, friends, fans, but you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Well, do I run the show? I feel like when I run the show, it goes to crap. So I try to stay out of the way of the show and let it do whatever we believe in, like let it let the pieces fall how they're supposed to and just be the best version of myself in that moment. Um, but uh I try to leave the, the older I get, I realize that a good day at the office or in the world is when I've left things or people or situations in coming away in a, in a happier, more positive place than when I got there. Um, that's plenty for me. Um, yeah. So that's it. I mean, that's kind of, that's the, the kernel of a good day or a good hour. And that can be on a session, a movie date or, or Kimmel or, or any, or just at a coffee shop. If it can be a pleasant experience, that's a good day. So if anyone wants to pick up the libretto show, learn about any live shows, where's the best place to go to do that? My website has stuff. Um, usually I keep up with the, you know, on my little news page and I try to update people, but um and and you can get libretto show there it's on vinyl it's on my website jeffbabco.com you can find it on vinyl and it's a good it's a good pressing we had a really good uh my buddies at um in england gearbox do amazing mastering work and to those that don't know gearbox it's such a cool place um they have these old deca uh machines that are like you when you go there you can't believe what gear they're using so i try to use them when i can and it's so it's a great press and i'm a vinyl nerd um i have vinyl here in my hotel room so uh anything on jeffbabcon.com you can find what i'm up to and um or just ask around yeah but old like 
the times. <laughs> That's right. I love it. I love it. Old, old school networking. Jeff, this has been great. Ha- have a great trip over there in Japan. Thank you for taking a minute out today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for listening and tuning into another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Southern California, Japan, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Jeff for his time, energy, and class. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.